Hi, everybody. This is The Simpsons Show. I'm Robbie, and today I'm here with something a little different from our normal show. Uh, I interviewed Allie Gertz, friend of the show from way back. I talked to her about her time in Simpsons podcasting, about her experience working at Mad Magazine, and finally, and most importantly, about her Nine Inch Nail cover album, Kickstarter, which is currently ongoing. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to go help support it. Uh, our current format doesn't really allow for formal interviews, uh, but these are something I hope to do more of in the future. They will typically drop on Thursdays, so keep your eyes peeled and your feed refreshed. I'm gonna looking for people kind of connected to the Simpsons universe, but maybe not always directly about the Simpsons. We'll see. This talk with Allie was a lot of fun. On to the interview. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Allie Gertz. Allie, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excellent. Um, excellent. Excellent. I really, I did want to, I did want to start with Ahoy but I, I decided not to do Ahoy <laughs> Um Allie, you were on the show, it feels like eternities ago. In, it is separate, a different lifetime. A different lifetime. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but uh you've you've gone on to do many things you let's see we we have let's obviously you've uh co-hosted round springfield yeah that was a fun one with lots of ever lot i know we share an audience i know we share listeners um you've hi listeners at, that we share exactly it's good, to, good, to, good to talk to you hello again hello um <laughs> you edited the uh re, the mad magazine revival yes or, or co-edited, I suppose I should say, mm-hmm. but whatever. It's all the same. The team effort. Team Alfred e- Newman was there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you worry? The spies um, kept blowing things up. Exactly. Uh, I know you've, 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 I saw you briefly in the, the Weird Al movie. Oh, yeah. My hair was pretty special in that, wasn't it? I mean, it was appropriate. I feel like it fit. <laughs> it made sense. Um, and now you are launching a, well, not, you've launched a Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is running right now. And if you're listening to this, you should go support it right now before, I think there's a week left as of the time of this recording. Um, uh, a Nine Inch Nails cover album, mm-hmm. which, which is, when I saw that, I saw that news, I was <laughs> a little surprised, but also incredibly delighted because I like that. I like you and I like Nine Inch Nails. Um, and we'll get to it's that. It's a bizarre pairing. I feel like the Simpsons podcast and the Mad Magazine editorial job align better with people's perception of me than a Nine Inch Nails cover album might. Um, <laughs> but that's part of the fun. You got to leave people always guessing what your deal is. I, I, I'm, hey, people contain multitudes. Exactly okay? right. Exactly right. <laughs> and Weird Al can't be weird all the time. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, though. Frankly, I'll be heartbroken to learn that he's not constantly weird. It feels like that he lives the gimmick. I think Weird Al lives the gimmick. I think that he, <laughs> he just has a Pee Wee Herman-esque lifestyle and a Rube Goldbergian device every morning for breakfast. I think so. I think so. He's his, constantly his eating, floors are made of trampoline. Constantly in uh, Twinkies with a hot dog in them. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and we'll get to the Nine Inch Nails talk. Uh, I wanted to start with. Round Springfield, um, which I know, again, shared listeners. And you got to talk to a lot of the, the big, the heavy hitters, the creative staff of The Simpsons. And people can go still listen to those podcasts. and They're really good. Uh, I, 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 as a fellow Simpsons podcaster, I just, I, and this is more honestly just to state my curiosity, uh, doing all those, you know, both talking with lots of people about the Simpsons and then going on to talk to the creative staff. Did that change how you think about the show at all? How you, as a fan of the show? The whole experience was such an interesting dynamic for me because, um, you know, starting out the show when it was called everything's coming up podcasts, like back like seven or eight years ago, um, might've been longer. Time is weird. Um, I didn't really have any, uh, I, I was not concerned about any Simpsons people hearing it. <laughs> and so I was able to just be like um, an internet-y, reddity, trolly, uh, heavily opinionated person. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I was much more vocal about like, you know, what I 
dislike as well as what I love. Um, and then, you know, I didn't really think too much about like the writing staff um, in terms of being human beings uh, with flaws or failures behind them. Um, I kind of just thought of them as like, you know, I actually wrote about it in the book that Julia and I made um, that I think that like all the Simpsons writers are just like these perfect beings that should all have statues erected of them because <laughs> they like are like the Beatles to me. I'm just like, wow, Schwarzwelder and all these guys, like they just made this perfect thing, uh, at least in the golden era. And like, then you get to talk to them over the years and remember like, oh, they like worked really hard and like have, they have childhoods, <laughs> they have uh, demons, they have battles um, or rattles if you have a cold. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it was just really interesting to have them humanized for me. Um, and it kind of sucks because then you're like, well, if they're just human. That means I'm also capable of greatness and that I should be working hard and <laughs> that I could be stepping into um, do like, you know, working harder to, to get what I want and not just act like they're all superheroes uh, put on this earth to make the funniest show of all time, if that makes sense. When you realize that someone else is uh, just a human, it's harder to excuse your own humanity. <laughs> Actually watching The Simpsons now, does that, has that changed at all? How, the way you consume the show? Uh, I used to watch the show in a way... Uh, while the podcast was running, I used to watch it, you know, right. uh, just for the podcast because it was a weekly show and I would make sure that I rewatched the episode and I would be, you know, writing down notes. Um, it's so weird to watch the Simpsons and not write down every like beat and moment and line. Um, there will sometimes go months where I don't watch a Simpsons episode and it is the weirdest feeling. And then I'll go back and just feel so happy that it's like there for me and then just something I can enjoy. But I can't, it's interesting. I, I would think that every time that I watch it, I think about the conversations that I've had about each moment. And sometimes I do. But more than anything, I just watch it as a fan and I'm just like, it's just so funny. It just so takes you instantly into the episode. Like I, I watched the um, Shinning uh, segment um, and uh, for a podcast. And then I ended up just watching more of that season and just kind of like, man, this show is so good. And I can just turn my brain off and not, <laughs> not write down my notes and just enjoy it. I mean, it's the beauty of it is the, it's so good that it does kind of, it can, it has that power. It can kind of erase all that, you know, that the, the questions of like, you know, doing our podcast, we constantly, you know, you're like, you're, you're, it's part of you is watching it like, Oh, I'm trying to enjoy the episode. I'm, you know, what's the story? What are the jokes? All that. But then there's the other part of you is like, well, I have to talk about this. I have to be able yes. to have discussion about it. So I have to like keep the, you know, the art in mind and the creative process and all that. But I think there is the beauty of the golden years and you go back and watch them. It is like, it's so good. It erases all of that. It erases that kind of that secondary thought process. At least it, it, same thing that happens to me when you, when I go back and watch them, like that kind of all disappears because it's so good. Yeah, exactly. Like I love to obviously geek out about what makes a Simpsons episode work and what makes it great. Um, but that's after that's afterwards now for me, like, or it's, you know, I've already done that. So now I just get to enjoy it. But, um, you know, when, when something works so well, like you just don't see the seams, you know, you have to like pause it and like break it down. Um, like people talk about like, what are some, what are jokes that uh, are off topic or like, sorry, off limits? Like what are topics that you're not allowed to joke about? And, um, in terms of like political correctness or sensitivity to people, if it's funny enough, you don't even think about it because you're just laughing. You know what I mean? If it's done well, you're going to laugh. Um, it's only when jokes fail that people like will realize like, oh, that actually is like not good. <laughs> um, I don't know. That I mean, laughter is laughter is you're not you can't control it. You know, if you exactly. think something's funny, the laughter comes. You can't, you, there's no thought process like, Oh, I shouldn't laugh at that. You just laugh. And maybe after you go like, Ooh, what, why did I laugh at that? But then you <laughs> yeah. go, well, but then you might go, well, I laughed at it because it does deliver some essential truth. You know, a lot of the time exactly. that's like the core of that, a lot of that laughter. Uh, and I'd be remiss 
I know, I know also, do, is there any chances? Well, I'm guessing I already know the answer to this, but I'll ask anyway. Is there any chances uh, to the, the, our shared listeners? Do you foresee any Simpsons podcasting in your future? Um, I don't know. I wonder what it would be because it's, you know, the, the market's, uh, well taken care of. <laughs> um, I don't know if, um, if, uh, my voice is, is, uh, needed at all in the, in the space. Um, so I would happily talk about the Simpsons any time that I'm invited to talk about it in terms of hosting, uh, someone would have to come up with a, with an angle. Um, a good I don't pitch. know what it is. Yeah, feel free to if people listen and have an idea for what it could be, I'd do it. Here's okay, here's here's something I would do. I've talked about this for a while. Um and maybe it already exists. I haven't really been checking, but like if there's a um like Simpsons like dating show, like Ooh. if there's a like a blind date, you both have the same favorite episode and let it's kind of like there I forget what it was called. It was just called like dinner and a movie or something. I don't know. It was something that was on in the nineties or early two thousands where people would like go watch a movie together and then they'd talk, like talk about what they loved about the movie. And you ideally would be partnered because you have the same taste. And more often than not, (laughs) that was not enough to sustain (laughs) a good date. Um, We like a movie. (laughs) Isn't it nice to hate the same things? Um, But yeah, it is very high fidelity. It's not what you like. It's, uh, it's not what you're like. It's what, what you like. Um, but I always thought that would be fun to experiment. And back in the day when I was single, I'm single now again, actually, I should do this. But I think now on dating apps, all of the, you just use your own name. But back when I was single before, which was years ago, you would have like, um, like usernames. And like my username on OkCupid was could eat at Arby's, um, which would get like really um, tasteless, uh, responses, um, oh God, <laughs> about Lord. roast beef. Oh Jesus. <laughs> um, but I would try and find other people with Simpsons usernames. Um, you know, what were some of the ones that I was like, um, uh, I mean, honk if you're horny is uh, asking for trouble, but like <laughs> they were, what were some of the ones? Oh, um, married a carrot. I was like looking up names like that, you know, um, you have to speak up. I'm it, wearing a towel. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I never, but they never lived in LA. So just never, if they did, I might, uh, I might like try and make something happen, but it'd be fun to, to set people up. I don't know if that works as a podcast or just a, a life experiment, but if it's something out there and weird and zany that hasn't been done, um, and Simpsons tends to have done it, um, <laughs> then, you know, maybe, but it's not on the immediate horizon. I'll put it that way. <laughs> that's fair enough. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, Would you want it to be back? I mean, I think there's, I think that's a, I think when people find something they really, really like, mm-hmm. I think they just, and especially in, in podcasts where it's like this very intimate uh, art, this very intimate yeah. medium where you're like, you know, people talk about parasocial relationships a lot with it, where you listen to people and they don't know you, you know, the people hosting the show don't know who you are. Uh, you're just, you know, a random. I actually, I actually do know who every listener oh, of my podcast is, wow. and I have a, I have a crush on all of them. Is all that of bad them. To say. <laughs> I mean, I think as long as everyone realizes that you're making a joke. Unfortunately, I think some people <laughs> probably don't know you're making a joke. Well. Um, those, are, that's the problem. <laughs> those people are the problem. Um, but that's. I mean, that's, you're getting right at the core of it. It's like, it's very parasocial where you're like, oh, they're my friend. They're, they're, I like they're talking directly into my ears. They're like, and like, especially during the pandemic, you see, you see it with like Twitch streams and, and things like that as well, where you feel like they're, you're they're like, they're my friend and they're talking about the Simpsons. I love the Simpsons. I feel like in, you know, sometimes people don't have friends that they can talk to about them, that specific fandom. And I think just like any friendship, when you establish that friendship and you have that kind of rhythm where like, you know, you deliver that podcast once a week or every two weeks or whatever, I think people just settle into that rhythm where they want to hear their, they want to talk to their friend every week. And obviously that doesn't, as a person who's been doing a Simpsons podcast for nine years now, uh, after a while you get burnt out on doing a podcast about the same thing every week, even if it's some, (laughs) even if it's something you like, and yes. 
That's why I ended mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I, I perfectly understand why you would stop. Uh, it's, but I think there is a lot of people who they don't have to put in all that work. You know, they don't sure. have to spend time arranging, scheduling a recording session, editing a podcast, dealing with all the behind the scenes stuff, plus treat becoming, you know, taking what you consider your fandom and or hobby and then making it a side hustle effectively. Well, yeah, exactly. That that's the that's the thing. I think we talked about it at lunch once maybe, but you know, I it was just really important that I preserved my love of the thing I love. And I didn't get burned out, but I got I, I could I was getting the signs of this relationship this marriage is failing. <laughs> yes. Um not between me and Julia. We're great. It's her birthday, by the way, the day that we're recording this. Happy birthday, um, Julia. <clears throat> We've never, I've never spoken to you in person, but happy right there. <laughs> um, is that true? I thought that we maybe. Huh. I've never, I've never met Julia, even though, I mean, oh. I'd love to. She seems very nice and she's written for the Simpsons, which I think is awesome. It's the coolest thing ever. I think that's amazing. Not just the Simpsons, but a treehouse episode. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, she's too big to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, she and I, you know, um, uh, b- both had to kind of just face the facts of like the 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 conceit of our show um, was different from yours, where we didn't have a built-in. Um, uh, rec- here's a, it's hard to explain, but it's basically the premise of our show was like we wanted to talk to our favorite people about their favorite episode that hasn't been picked yet. And once we got through some of the earlier seasons, a lot of the people that we would want to have on the show just wouldn't have already had this deep love for the episodes that were left. Not to say that they aren't great episodes, but it changes what the show is. Now it's just have a guest come on to talk about a Simpsons episode that they haven't seen before. And that's fun. Of course, that's the conceit of many Simpsons podcasts, but it just isn't the same thing that our show set out to be at the beginning. And so then we decided like, well, we still want to talk about the Simpsons, but we don't want to do it in this format because it feels a little disingenuous to us. So why don't we do what eventually became around Springfield, um, which was born from how many times Al Jean would do our show and would just like insist that we talk about like the critic or something that wasn't even the Simpsons. And we'd be like, okay, this is kind of breaking format, but Al's fun to talk to. Why don't we just do um, a little runway for all the Simpsons people to talk about their other projects? Wouldn't that be kind of fun? Um, and that was so exciting. I would have done that for ever actually. Cause I, I like talking to people, um, just about what makes them excited and like what gets, gets, gets them kind of creatively, um, running. And, um, so, you know, there's a world where I do that type of podcast again. Um, I'll definitely do a podcast again. <laughs> I just don't know if it'll be the Simpsons. And the thing is, is if I do a podcast, the Simpsons will be mentioned. <laughs> I can't help it. Like yeah. I quote the Simpsons every day of my life. It's that, uh, the, the meme I see pop up swear jar, empty Simpsons reference <laughs> jar. full. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, Mad Magazine. Yes. Uh, I'm so curious about so much of that. I was uh, I was still co-hosting a comic book co- podcast when that revival happened, the reboot or whatever oh, wow. you want to call it, and we were we read that first issue, and I was really I was like, wow, that's interesting. I'm like, okay, we have D- DC publishing Mad Magazine. And they're gonna, they're restarting it, and like you know, you and you know, new voices effectively working on Mad Magazine, giving it like a fresh perspective. And I thought that was really interesting and really exciting. And I like, I th- probably would have been reading it even if you weren't involved. I saw you were, and like, well, now I need to at least check it out, do my due diligence and all that. And then like, what did it go? Eleven issues or some mm-hmm. ten, eleven. And I, and I was just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm as a person who follows comic books very closely, they cancel things I love all the time. Right. It's, a, it's a, a, a very brutal reality of that industry, even though it's stupid sometimes because I don't know what scale of profit scale of profitability it requires for them to. This thing is still really good and really, really, uh, it's quality work, but it's not selling enough by this number by this day. So goodbye. Um, all that being said, how was that? How, like, working on Mad Magazine, I think, like, obviously, the Simpsons references Mad in the Golden Years (laughs) all the time. And 
I read Mad Magazine in the 90s, which is, I know, well past its, quote unquote, its golden era, which people right. say the 60s or 70s or whatever, but I still loved it as a kid. Um, is that, was that overall enjoyable? Did you have a, was that, I mean, like, I know that because it got canceled, it was probably upsetting and all that. I mean, just as a fan of Bad Magazine, that's upsetting. Yeah. Um, I had actually uh, left uh, before. I was not laid off. I was not part of that group. I I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and was offered an opportunity to write for TV, which is something I'd always wanted to do. And so I just had to face the facts and, and realize, like, Matt is going to fold, uh, pun intended, um, whether I'm here or not, as much as I would love to think that I could help um, steer the ship in any type of direction to safety. Um, and I could either, you know, be the last um, musicians on the Titanic, or I could try <laughs> and save myself and, and do something else. Now, funny enough, the iceberg that killed, um, uh, that sank the Titanic also um, sank the TV show network that I <laughs> left to write on. Um, the same company merger, which was the AT&T merger, um, ended up, you know, really messing with True TV, which is where I left. So I was gonna, I was gonna drown no matter what, <laughs> oh, but God. at least I tried. This is a lovely metaphor we, we have going here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that there are, uh, there's honor in, in both staying on the ship, um, going down with it, and then also with trying to to find a new life for yourself and you know you're punished both ways and that's fine <laughs> but um working at mad before that happened um inc incredibly um exciting and a huge honor and i got to work with a ton of people that um you know are old school usual gang of idiots like um al jaffe uh, still alive by the way uh, he's um, I, uh, he'll outlive like us all yeah he's never gonna die <laughs> Yeah. Um, incredible, still so sharp. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if they, we, so he gave us the, what would be, I don't know if they did this because I haven't been following what Mad's been doing since my departure. Really. They still put out issues. They are kind of just a, a, um, a compilation of old and new material that fit a theme. And I believe Susie um, Hutchinson, who was the art director at the time, is still running um, new covers. So I think there is still some new MAD that exists in that respect. Um, but more than anything... It, it's, you know, it's, it's reissue. You can't really call it a reissue because it's not, you know, issue one being put out again. No, it's, 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 it's uh, yeah, it's old material collections of old material. Yeah. Some well, you know, which, yeah. which is, which is cool in its own way. It's I mean, I'm glad not... it's, I'm glad it's there to be. Absolutely. Honest. Me too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's such a interesting thing, you know, um, it was scary to be a part of the renumbering. Um, we decided to renumber it because it was an entirely new team and we, you know, kind of weren't sure the best way to go about it. And ultimately figured like this is being treated by the higher ups, which are, DC and Warner Brothers, and then like whoever else was on top of them before the AT&T merger, um, they're seeing this kind of like uh, an unofficial, this is our last chance. We're probably going to exit no matter what, but why don't we see yeah. what we can do? And the president at DC was this awesome woman named Diane Nelson. She was a huge advocate for MAD. And when she stepped down, it became clear, like, we no longer have an adversary. Like, we no, we no longer have someone um, in our corner. And yeah. that was scary because people know that MAD is important. But if you don't love MAD, the, you you just don't get it, especially in, in a day and age where, like, magazines don't <laughs> make a lot of money, you know? Yeah. Like, they, the MAD staff in the days, um, back in the days, like, used to go on, like, a cruise, like, around the world and, like, do, like, all these cool, fun vacations together. Like, there were no <laughs> MAD vacations in the Burbank team. <laughs> um, we'd maybe get lunch sometimes. <laughs> Ooh. I know. 
but it was great. It was really cool. Um, it was very funny. It was some of the best moments of my life were working at Mad Magazine. Um, it was just antithetical. The way that it was run is antithetical to the spirit of mad. Um, mad has this philosophy of question everything. And, you know, because you have so much red tape of all these different, um, entities, it's really hard to be able to speak truth. For example, you might remember quite famously Batman's um, in one of the comics. I, yes, I, <laughs> we, 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 there was lots of memeing, lots of jokes about Batman's. So, you know, we were going to make fun of it, obviously, but we're told not to because, you know, we are run by DC and we weren't uh, encouraged to make self-deprecating jokes. And that to me is the most Mad Magazine thing you could do secondary to being political, which is something we were also told to shy away from. This is when Trump was president. And there were a lot of things to be made fun of. And we did make fun of Trump, obviously. But we would get feedback of, like, let's try and make it a little bit more moderate and, like, make fun of some Democrats more. And it was just like, but he's in office. Like, we have to make fun of the guy in office. And it was just people that didn't fully understand MAD. And we were pushing up against that a lot. But there are only only so many fights that you can really take. Um, You have to pick your battles. Yeah, you have to pick your battles. And um, like, I I think that Mad, I don't know if Warner Brothers would ever do it, but if they sold it to someone like Neil Patrick Harris, who's like a big, big fan of Mad Magazine, like if they sold it to like someone solo, like Conan O'Brien, if someone just bought it, the rights, um, I think that they could hire an amazing team, hopefully work with people that have worked at Mad in the past and bring back something incredible. Um, but I just think that until it's kind of freed from like all these different forces, it's just really tricky to make it have the same energy as it did in the sixties and seventies. Um, that said, I think we did some cool work and I think that, uh, it takes time just like a first season of a show to like find its own voice. Obviously we had decades upon decades of voice to maintain, but we also wanted to, um, find some new qualities to it as the world was kind of changing. And, you know, I was like the first female editor and like, you know, we had like a majority, um, women staff for a while. And then also we were bringing in like more diverse writers, which had really interesting perspectives and it was really cool. And, um, I loved the, the, the stuff we got to do and was really excited for where it was going. And it's really heartbreaking that we didn't get to do more, but um, I have hope that in the future, that's something that could be revisited because it's mad magazine. Come on. It's incredible. It, yeah. I, I honestly, it feels like nowadays it is more appropriate than ever to have a mad magazine doing its, its thing, but doing it also free of kind of strict editorial control of our union. You can't talk about this guy. You can't talk about that guy. Um, yeah. you can't do this. You can't go too hard on this, et cetera, et cetera. It is kind yeah. of, it's kind of productive to the whole, uh, mission statement. It is. Yeah. And, um, something I was excited about too, is I was going to host, uh, the mad magazine podcast, which is going to be kind of like, you know, the mad comedy hour and, um, you know, half, half of it would have been scripted. Um, and then also have like, you know, tales from Sergio Aragones and we would just get like old school stories from mad and act out some of the old school, um, hijinks from back in the day. Um, and it was going to be like half, I keep saying half. So (laughs) my math's not very good. Um, I'm a comedy writer, not a, not a math person, but I, was really excited about having like these Bill Gaines, um, you know, segments and, and kind of teaching you about like, I think we were going to focus on like each issue, like one by one for a, a segment of it, yeah. what we were working on, but then also old school issues. Um, I was so excited about that. And we, we had many meetings about it. We had a, um, a production company that we were excited to work with. And then I, I, my goal was to have mad be its own, um, podcast network as well, because I wanted to really just make mad become the kind of brand and corner of the comedy space. And I was really excited about it. I also was pitching 
like mad presents because I really wanted us to be doing, you know, National Lampoon type um, comedy parodies. Like I really wanted to help bring back like the, the airplanes and those types of movies. And since we were, you know, DC and Warner Brothers, my pitch had been that we, you know, get access to these scripts and sets and, you know, in some cases cast um, and save some <laughs> money by just like sharing those resources and making fun of those properties and making them exclusively available on like, you know, the HBO Maxes and whatever DC's platforms would be. And then you'd be able to have like an Aquaman parody come out immediately following, if not the same time. Alongside the the actual movie, yeah. And who makes more sense to do a comedy parody movie than Mad Magazine? I was really excited about this stuff, and we were really looking at, like, how do we make Mad massive and, and, like, just covering all areas of comedy? And, you know, I hope that that stuff ever gets to happen um, in the future. Who knows? But... Um, it was cool to be able to at least try. I was really trying very, very, very hard and with the most passion in the world to <laughs> make mad uh, what it kind of was. Um, and I'm proud of that. Even if it didn't work out, I'm really excited that I did that. And uh, I mean, it's still, I, it's I still good about it. awesome with a, a feather in your hat. Is yeah, that, absolutely that right. Yeah. Um, I'm, cap. I'm cap, not hat. <laughs> It's the same cap. thing, but somehow it just sounds a little better. <laughs> it is. Well, it's important. The sound is important in, 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 in any idiom. Um, yes. The P sound really is satisfying. Cap. Can I get those plosives going? <laughs> yes. Um, I won't. I'll divert. I will keep myself from ha- in, engaging in a long discussion about the Zucker Brothers uh, film <laughs> discography. Um, okay. Nine Inch Nails. Peeled back. Yes. Your, your album on currently running on a Kickstarter. It's been successfully backed. So at this point you're getting the album go, you go support it's, it's you'll, you're going to get it. So go support it. That's my first, the first, uh, my, the thing I say to people, Hey, go support the thing. Um, I, this is the, okay. You've, you've already mentioned earlier. You're like, you know, when people think of you, they don't automatically think of, Nine Inch Nails, they're not going to go to industrial rock, industrial goth rock, whatever you want to, the many genres that Trent Reznor happily uh, mishmashes. Um, No, people look at me and, and, you know, if they know anything about me, but even if they don't, I look like someone who, you know, likes Lisa Lobe, folky, (laughs) gentle, or power poppy, Beatlesy. you know, I'm that, I'm that world. I'm... I'm, when I put on, when I put headphones on your ears and say this song's about to change your life, you don't picture me putting <laughs> like head like a hole. Head on. like a hole. <laughs> yep. This, this song will change your life. I want to feel like an animal. Um, so how you and like it's even it says it on your the Kickstarter. You're like I did not. You just <laughs> which I, that, that is a. I don't know if that is that a half joke or not. Where you said you didn't know that Trent Reznor. Did more than movie soundtracks? That is not a joke. It is okay. fully serious. I okay. I did not. So listen, I'm a huge, huge music fan and music buff, and yeah. I know a lot about music, but I have some massive blind spots because basically I was spoon-fed my taste by my Gen X dad. He's <laughs> like got like great taste in music. Uh, it's, you know, it's relative, but, you know, we're snobs about it, so no, it's not. And um, I... I just, he, because he was raising me in those years, you know, 1994, I was three years old. He wasn't able to explore that music because he was in dad mode. And so that's not music that you're able to have on in the background with your kid. And it wasn't like he was constantly parenting and it was just something that was like difficult for him to go to tower records and find what's new. And we weren't having toddler dance parties to closer. (laughs) We were not. Okay. And, uh, if we did, I blacked them out, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, he, he was listening to, you know, like John Bryan and jellyfish and XTC and, you know, we, we didn't listen to the radio. Um, we listened to CDs and, you know, eventually when iPods were out iPods. And so like, we were not listening to what was popular and we weren't, you know, by the time that I was aware of what 
like music videos were out, there wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been replaying the closer video or um, it wouldn't have been until the album with teeth came out that I would have even been exploring um, my own music for the first time. And because I'd already been kind of taught about so many bands and things that I liked so much in a different genre, it just was, it was like, okay, cool. There's, there's people at my school that like this band called Tool and Nine Inch Nails and I like Megadeth and like, I don't know what these bands are, <laughs> but they're not for me. And so I just never listened to them. Um, and the first time that I ever, ever, ever heard about them, I didn't even think about this when I was making my Kickstarter because it just went over my head, um, is in the uh, episode eight of Twin Peaks The Return, which is one of the greatest episodes of anything ever. Um, I used to have a Twin Peaks podcast and you could actually listen to me, listen to the Nine Inch Nails for the first time. Um, they they are called the Nine Inch Nails in the Twin Peaks universe, which I love. Um, the guy who played the announcer kept saying it wrong and they just ran with it. And now it kind of makes it this fun little like, OK, so there's Nine Inch Nails and the Nine Inch Nails. Um, so that was the first time watching their appearance in the Roadhouse performing that I was like, wait, what? This is not what I thought they were, but it wasn't enough to get me to like, listen to pretty hate machine or downward spiral or anything. It was just kind of like, okay, now I know, but then that was it. And then years later, last year, um, my friend Andrew like played me the downward spiral just casually in the car, but he was saying like, you might like this. And the next day I kept thinking about like, what, what was I listening to? And he told me like, start from the beginning of the catalog just see the journey that Trent takes you on. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you don't. It gets kind of weird. The downward spiral is the best thing, but the fragile is his masterpiece. Like just check it out. And so I listened to pretty hate machine and it was just exactly what I needed emotionally at the time. It was like really getting me through a very, very, very bad, hard time in my life. And if I had listened to it earlier in my life, I think I would have just been like, okay, cool. But because I needed it, it just felt like really kismet and perfect. And like, it really just struck a chord with me and like gave me something that music had never really given me before, which is access to anger <laughs> and catharsis. And like, it like made me feel my feelings, which typically I don't like to do in that way. I, I prefer to like, you know, all of my songs on my first album, Cosby Sweater, rest in peace, that band name, <laughs> are like very heartbreaking songs about comedies, you know, cause I get sad at everything. <laughs> like even the movie, the jerk makes me emotional. And like my song about Millhouse, like, I know that it's funny, but like, it, it's sad to me. Like Millhouse is very sad and I feel for him very much. And I relate to him very much to the point. It's actually kind of funny when my producer, Adam, who, um, Adam Bush, who produced Cosby Sweater and then is coming back for Nine Inch Nails album, heard my songs. He was for Cosby Sweater. He was telling me like, man, it's really cool how like you have all these songs about these sad, lonely characters. Um, and like, it's so clearly about you, but you're using these characters to like tell that story. And I was like, I am <laughs> like, I didn't realize like, <laughs> like I was in denial about like, Oh yeah. Every single character that I picked is kind of lonely and a nerd and like, <laughs> like longing for something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. It's the, and so, you know, <laughs> it's the someone I think brought it up to the Decemberist to call him a lawyer. He's like, you write a lot of songs about drowning. Do you realize that? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I do. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, it was just kind of like I've experienced plenty of sadness, but anger was new for me. And also, like, there's something just, I hate the word sexy, but there's something very sexy about Nine Inch Nails. And that was also something that I hadn't really experienced in music. And it, it, and also never comfortably in myself in an outward way. Like, I've always kind of felt like part of my appeal is like I'm kind of like prudish <laughs> and like a nerd or whatever. And it has helped me kind of just feel like I'm allowed to break out of the box that I created for myself of my identity. And so like, I can't tell you how much Nine Inch Nails is just important to me as a human. And because of that, I really just wanted to share that with my friends and family make them aware of like why Nine Inch Nails is so great. But a lot of them, I just kind of knew like they're going to get scared <laughs> by listening to it. Cause like the soundscapes can be pretty intense. Like the becoming, for example, has like, <laughs> like screaming and it's just a lot. And the it's just a lot for some people. Um, and so I was like, if I could do a version that's, you know, 
peeled back some of these layers and a little bit more gentle, um, but still keeps the backbone um, of these songs. I bet, I bet these people would really, really understand what is so great about these songs and how, and I think the power will still be there. And maybe there's even this new type of power hearing it sung by a woman and have this new perspective. And so it started out as just kind of like a small, like little, like, let's just see how this goes to now me making a full album and an album of B-sides and kind of, I never want to stop making these ever. I've actually made a, one of the stretch goals, which I don't think we'll reach, but if we get to $40,000, I'm going to record, um, I'm going to cover literally every single Pretty Hate Machine song. Um, right now I'm covering zero. So um, if you want to hear me sing Pretty Hate Machine in its entirety, uh, you should consider uh, donating to the Kickstarter because that might happen. I mean, that's one of my follow-ups is like, why we got no love for Pretty Hate Machine? What? what why? <laughs> so the, the I love Pretty Hate Machine. I didn't want to do Head Like a Hole because I was trying to avoid, well, not purposely, but I was picking my favorite songs and a lot of them happen to not be the hits. Um, I have to do Closer because I, you know, Closer's a great song, but I um, also wanted to hear that in my voice. But when it came to Hurt, I really didn't want to do Hurt. I really didn't want to do Hand That Feeds. I really didn't want to do um, Perfect Drug. Um, Copy of A is a great song, but I was like, there's nothing I can add to that. It's already so pretty. It's already got what it needs. And you know, some of these bigger songs, I was just like, I just don't think that I could do them in a way that does them any justice. And so I kind of put a pin in them. But I did try from Pretty Hate Machine. Um, I, I have done a demo now. I've had like a hole and unfortunately it is good. <laughs> and I have done a, a, a cover of The Only Time, which is kind of princey. Like I kind of wish Jan- Janelle Monet would sing the version that I'm arranging because it's got such a groove to it and what's been interesting about this whole project is you know I didn't necessarily have a set track list in mind because I knew what songs I love but I wasn't sure necessarily what songs would sound good in my style but furthermore I wasn't sure what my style was because I have two different albums before this my Cosby Sweater stuff which is very indie folk you know yeah and then I have a Rick and Morty concept album and that has like, it's almost trap. <laughs> like it's got like <laughs> electro pop trap beats. And so I kind of, you know, have evolved my style to combine those things and then have a bit of the nine inch nails undertone as well. And so I've, I really have gotten a lot more confident as a musician and I've learned a lot in the year that I've been working on this and I'm also working with really amazing um uh, a violinist and composer um Becky Ward and John um Dinerstein and they're really helping bring to life like the vision that I have in my head for this and so now that I've been working on these covers I have a better idea of what I sound like and what I want it to do so it's easier for me to to now be able to say like okay I could do a whole album of pretty hate machine covers no problem but beforehand I was like how much should I sound like Nine Inch Nails versus how much should I sound like Allie Gertz? And, uh, you know, I have, that's why I have an album of B-sides coming out to people that donate like 35 bucks or something, because there are just a lot of different ways that you could do these songs. And sometimes I would try it and it just really wouldn't work. And other times I would try it, but it sounded okay, this works, but it sounds like something else I already have on the album. Like I have a cover of Great Destroyer, um, which I really love, but it's a great song. Album? I'm a, but yeah, I have a cover of Great Destroyer and I really love it, but it sounds a little bit too much um, like what I'm doing with Every Day is exactly the same. Um, and then, you know, Hand That Feet, or sorry, um, Head Like a Hole sounds a little bit too much like what I'm doing with Closer. So I'm kind of like, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if I want to do a different version of Head Like a Hole because that's the way I have to do it, but I can't have two songs that sound so similar. It's stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's ultimately, um, just like a fun puzzle. Um, and, and I'm excited that I have the opportunity to still share these songs, um, without having to sacrifice the flow of the album, which is really important to me. I once made a playlist just of, you know, just like a playlist that you give a crush or somebody, um, for someone. And I was asking like, what do you think of the flow? And they were like, well, I don't know, because I listened to it on Shuffle. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How <laughs> dare you? That was half of the work was figuring out what song goes next. 
Well, that, Sorry, I, I got really into my Nine Inch Nails stuff. Did you have any specific questions about the Nine Inch Nails album that I could Well, I mean, with? I have a thousand questions about the Nine Inch Nails album, but it's fine. Um, I think it's broadly, it's you, and you kind of already alluded to it, is, you know, I obviously it's a cover album, but yes. you have to bring your own style and perspective to these mm-hmm. same songs. And I mean, that's a big part of the appeal. You've already said like hearing a female vocalist cover Trent Reznor songs when his, I don't know, I, his music is very masculine to me. Uh, yes. When, like even beyond just the lyrical content, it is like, and like you talk about that rage, that anger and I don't know, as per, I enjoy a lot of extreme music. So when you talk about how, you know, it's that's an alien concept to me that some people would hear screaming in a song and go, "Oh, I can't listen to it." But <laughs> that's I that's I know, I know you know that they're not me, so it makes sense. Yeah, and you know the thing that I feel like I'm doing that I hope that I'm doing right is I'm not just zigging when he zags. Um, it, that to me would be a little bit of a gimmick, and I really am making it. I really hope I'm making it clear that this is not just, wouldn't it be funny if Nine Inch Nail songs were all soft and sweet and done by a girl? That's not what this is. It really is like a huge, massive tribute <laughs> to this band that just means so much to me and has and has pushed me as a songwriter and a human in my own emotions. And I'm now documenting those emotions through these songs. And so when Trent screams, I am not whispering, but I am doing my version of screaming. And and my version of screaming, of course, is going to sound different. And it's not literally screaming. It is usually a controlled anger. Or Mm -hmm. for me, sometimes what unhinged looks like is relinquishing some of the vocal control. And so it might be, I'm like a little messy in my performance or like it's, it's, you know, it's not perfect. And that can be hard for someone who's a little perfectiony in, in I mean, <laughs> the way I, that they come across. I think stuff. that's part of the appeal of Nine Inch Nails, honestly, is the fact that Trent isn't, he doesn't ever seem to be like beholden to this needs to sound good. Even he's like, it's a, yes. it's good that it sounds raw or bad. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, um, something that, Nine Inch Nails exceeds at is vulnerability and that that is something that can be really scary, obviously. Um, that's what vulnerable really is. And I'm very, very vulnerable in this whole thing. And that's actually why I was hesitant to do a Kickstarter in general, because I was very scared that no one would uh, care about this. It's such a weird project and it's so outside of my comfort zone and, and what I typically have done. And it's not quote unquote on brand. Um, so I was really excited that people were intrigued and wanted to support it. Um, I, I really didn't know what to expect. And so that was, that was really cool. And I feel like it's allowing me to kind of evolve as a, as a, as an artist and as a person. Um, so I feel very indebted to Nine Inch Nails and I hope that this, um, tribute, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, I, I put this somewhere in my Kickstarter description, but, uh, I, I see it as like Nine Inch Nails is my religion and I've created an altar with my voice. Yeah. I have, I could, I could talk to you about Nine Inch Nails for forever, probably. Um, I'm, I'm just very thankful you have Reptile. That's my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. And I'm very, oh my God, I'm, I'm it's glad that you, it's you so good. I love Reptile, but I didn't at first. It took me, some of these songs are a challenge for me. And that's what's so cool is um, some of my favorite songs and movies gave me discomfort or, you know, it felt bad the first time that I come across it. And then I can't stop thinking about it. And then I'm, you know, replaying things in my head all the time. And then I come back to it with this new uh, appreciation, or I will have had to evolve (laughs) in my own life and my own listening of something to be like, okay, now I get it. Um, And Hurt is actually an example of that. I hated Hurt the first time I heard it. Um, Because when I put on the downward spiral, I wanted to be angry. And then he's going and making me all f***ing sad. And I was like, (laughs) screw you, Trent. I'm not here for this. (laughs) And so I hated it. And I I would skip it every time. I would be like, 
this. I don't want to hear anything slow. Um, no, no, thank you. And now <laughs> I've kind of like a year later resolved some of my emotions and kind of worked through some things. And now I'm able to hear that. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I love it. And I also started doing a cover of it because that was one of my stretch goals. And I, I cry on it when I sing it. <laughs> I am crying on the I track. Mean, it's it, pretty, it's pretty cool. It's I a mean, cool, good song. It, it's a powerful <laughs> song. I mean, it's, it is. there's a reason like it's twice now it has become like iconic, you know, with both him and Johnny that's, Cash. And that's why I didn't want to do it is because Johnny Cash does it and it's his. So I kind of felt like, what am I doing? What can I possibly um, add to this song? That's already been so famously. I, I still think perfected, you, you, again, we've already covered, I think you're, the fact that you're, I don't want to just say simple novelty, but there is like that, there's new, it's a new perspective when it's a female vocalist, when especially someone like you who doesn't typically cover darker, darker, it doesn't have darker music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited for you guys to um, hear how, how dark and twisted and that I actually am. <laughs> it's been hiding. <laughs> I don't oh. know if you noticed, my nose is pierced now. I'm a whole new person. <laughs> oh, God. There's a... There's a harpist I follow on YouTube who has also has a septum piercing and she constantly is making fun of all the people who leave comments. Hey, do you look like a pig? It's just like, (laughs) it's just like, Oh my God, people calm calm down. (laughs) It's just a piercing. You can relax. Um, Okay. We're out of time. Plug where people find your Kickstarter. What's, what's a Kickstarter? There'll be a link in the show notes. It took awesome. Um, well, yeah. If if you look up my name, Allie Gertz, G O E R T Z, um, you will find it. Um, you could also look up Nine Inch Nails. Peeled Back is the name of the album. It's going to be available on vinyl, which I'm really excited about. Limited edition vinyl. Um, it's actually going to also be on cassette, um, which I know is kind of weird, but I think cassettes are back. We're making cassettes happen. Um, if I could have my album in POG form, I would, but, um, maybe I should do that. Maybe that's a fun little stretch goal. Can you custom make POGs? I'm sure you can. Yeah, yes. Should I can. make, should I have, should I have Nine Inch Nails, Alligator's POGs? I mean, I would, if it's financially This feasible. is a no. This sounds like a no. If it's financially, <laughs> I hear, I'm, my thought immediately goes to like, I don't want to like submarine your Kickstarter by you, <laughs> making you spend oh, hundreds, hundreds of dollars on Nine Inch Nails Pogs. Do the people want Pogs? I need to know. I mean, I um, think anyway. the listeners of this podcast are, that's a yes. That's a yes from your, from yeah. your community. Yes, I think. I think so. Well, I think that that's something to think about, but yes, you can find me at Allie Gertz and all the things and, um, there are a couple previews, um, snippets of Reptile and Ruiner, which is my favorite Nine Inch Nails song, oddly. Ruiner's great. They're all great. It's so good. You picked a lot of, you picked a bunch of, bunch of winners. I really, your selection of tracks is really, really good. Thank you. Um, so. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining me. You got it.